Hey guys, today's guest, Andrea Steger, is a copyright and trademark attorney. And today we're gonna go over some laws as it pertains to the fashion industry. A lot of young designers and creatives in general usually feel lost when it comes to protecting their intellectual property, whether that be designs or artwork or whatever it may be. So we're gonna go over some of all of that in just a minute. So Andrea, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Of course. So how about you give our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Andrea Sager. I am a copyright and trademark attorney. I have been on my own for over eight months now. I was at a large law firm in Cincinnati, and I did not enjoy it because I was not able to work with small business owners. And after owning a prior small business, I knew that I wanted to work exclusively exclusively with small businesses. So I actually had one incident at the firm where I was bringing in a new client and I was excited. I was, you know, a young attorney bringing in business. I was like, oh, great. Like, they're going to love this. Well, they didn't because... <laughs> they weren't this humongous million, multi-million dollar client. They, I mean, they were a multi six-figure business, didn't have an issue paying the firm's rates. They were paying the retainer, everything. And they just, the managing partner that was over the, the part of bringing in new clients, he just was basically berating me for bringing in this so-called low quality client. And I was not okay with that. So I literally left that firm within just a couple of months after that incident, and I actually left Cincinnati. I left that firm, left Cincinnati. My husband and my kid, we moved to Houston, which is where I'm from and where my family is. So we moved, and I have been running my own virtual firm since, and I work almost exclusively with fashion entrepreneurs, whether that be designers, retailers. I used to own a women's clothing boutique. So that's how I really got my start with the fashion industry. And it's just been wonderful. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> that is so amazing. So you're really a champion for small businesses, which we appreciate. Yeah, we yeah. Like I totally know that there, this void exists with small businesses and quality legal services. And I saw that while at that, uh, while at that bigger firm. And I just knew like so somebody's got to fill this void. So why not let it be me? No, absolutely. So let's just rewind for a second. I was actually reading up on you and I learned that you, um, as you mentioned, you started out with a boutique and now you're a trademark attorney. What really inspired that drastic switching careers and how did you really make that transition was it so, really the frustrating experiences at the previous firm or what led you to say okay this is it I need to a change of pace yeah so at the firm I I was doing exclusively litigation which for those of you that don't know that's basically like the courtroom attorneys and it was just wasn't what I wanted to do I wanted to do transactional work and the firm that I was with, they had a group of attorneys that worked with 
e-commerce businesses. They did brand protection, which is what I do now. I wanted to do that with that firm. But at the time when I joined, they didn't have a spot for me in that group because it was very small at the time. So they had to just basically stick me in litigation. And I didn't, they told me that they would, you know, transition me. But I I mean, that was pretty much just a lie. And uh, so I was just stuck in litigation and I hated it. And when I had the boutique and was working at the firm, the number one issue that people reached out to me for was for copyright and trademark issues. So I knew that the demand was there. I just had to meet it. Right. So we know no two days are probably the same, especially when you're handling multiple clients, but walk us through a typical week of what you currently do. Yeah, good question. So I'm actually changing things up. So I opened my firm at the end of April, beginning of May of 2018. And I was kind of just flying by the seat of my pants, just, oh, we'll see how this all goes. And now that I've been in business for, I mean, still less than a year, I've learned a lot and I'm starting to, I guess, batch my days. And because I have a scheduler to, for people to schedule phone calls and I have learned to limit that to only certain days because I found myself having maybe one or two phone calls, you know, four or five days a week. And having those phone calls really just kind of broke up my day. And I wasn't able, I was like, okay, I'm really not able to focus as much on the actual lawyering because I'm, you know, taking phone calls and this and that. So now I limit myself to three days a week of phone calls, whether that, um, whether they schedule ahead of time or if people like, Hey, can you call me today? If it's not one of those three days then I will not call those people. I just say, Hey, we can schedule something for this day, or you can, you know, set up your own phone call through the scheduler. So that's, that has really helped me be more productive. Um, so three days a week, I take phone calls. And if those days aren't booked fully with phone calls, then I still do some lawyering and I send a lot of cease and assist letters because infringement is running rampant these days. Oh yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it, so that's a lot of what I do. And then um, for trademarks, typically two days a week is exclusively me just dealing with trademark, like my trademark dockets, working on office action responses, getting new applications filed, running trademark searches, all of that stuff. So yeah, my weeks are getting to be pretty full. I'm actually starting to hire out a team. So I, I love being busy, but I'm starting to hire out a team. That way I can manage my time more effectively. No, absolutely. And I feel like the reason that a lot of us become freelancers is to really take control of our time and our schedules, but it kind of gets messy when you're, it's a blessing to have so many clients and so many people wanting to work with you. But at the same time, how do you balance that work um, life um, balance? Because I actually went to a freelancers event last night and that was one of the topics that was brought up because as freelancers, we can be on the clock 24 seven unless we put a a stop to it. So how do you balance that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, the scheduling thing, I think that has helped tremendously. 
So right now I'm taking calls three days a week. Um, I don't really want to do less than that because then I feel like it kind of limits clients mm -hmm. too much. But um, I'm starting to think about having other attorneys take calls for me or my assistant. But I also am very strict with when I stop working. Like I will not work past 4.30 my time because I always want to be the one that picks up my kid from school. <laughs> so right now he's, he's two, he's about to be two. So he's in Montessori school slash daycare, but so he doesn't exactly ride the bus, but I still want to make sure that I'm there to take him to school every morning, pick him up. Not cause I was always a daycare kid growing up. And I mean, I was there until six or seven at night, which was fine. I mean, I turned out just fine, <laughs> but I always remember the kids that were like, their parents were always there at the same time every day. They got picked up early and I was just like, man, I want, you know, I want to be there for my kids like that, which obviously my parents had to work. But it, now that I have the flexibility and freedom to be able to pick up my kid whenever I feel like it, I definitely make sure I don't pick them up past 4.30 on any given day. And I, not that I don't work past 4.30, I stop working at 4.30, pick him up, because he, he goes to bed really early, actually, my son does, so he's usually asleep by 7.30, and I usually am working after that, so I still get a lot of work done once he goes to sleep. Yeah, that sounds like a good kid, seven, going to sleep at seven. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. He's he's the dream child <laughs> that's sweet so getting more into the law a lot of people get confused um, between the difference between copyrights and trademarks so can you explain the difference as how it will relate to the fashion industry absolutely so you're right people get copyrights and trademarks confused all the time all the time yes <laughs> so as just as the basic benchmark a copyright is for creative works so this is your designs this can be your logo if it meets the creativity parameters that the copyright office mandates but basically when you think of copyrights you want to think of creativeness so these are your all of your creative works and it doesn't I mean, outside of the fashion industry, it doesn't have to be a design, but typically when you're in the fashion industry, it's your prints, your t-shirt designs, your anything that you design to go on your articles. And then for trademarks, that's all branding. That is anything that identifies your brand, whether that be your brand name, your logo, or your slogan. All of that can be trademarked. I hope you guys are taking notes because <laughs> I always get confused between the difference of the two. Um, so yeah, I, so I'm trying to just like break it down and be super simple there, but yeah. just as more examples like copyrights, photographs, any, like any photo you take that is protected under copyright law, mm -hmm. um, books, all that stuff, all that's copyrighted. So if you want to think about it, like okay trademarking is everything branding and then basically everything else is copyright copyright got it so what would you say 
is the biggest or the most typical mistake that you see young designers make? Great question. So I see this all the time and I deal with it every single day is people selling online and they think they can just use somebody else's design and sell it as their own. Or they think, oh, I can just change up a couple of little things here. Or somehow this mythical 30% rule came about. So they think if they change it up 30% of the original design, then it's not copyright infringement. Well, that's not the case at all. There is no such thing as a 30% rule. When I, my client, I mean, I have people ask me all the time, okay, well, how do I avoid copyright infringement? Well, in order to avoid it, you have to be 100% original. There's a very, very fine line between inspiration and copyright infringement. And you definitely want to make sure you're on the right side of that line because you definitely don't want to get a nasty cease and desist letter or even be sued because you weren't aware of the laws. So, Yes, it's okay to use inspiration from other designs, but you have to be original. You ha have to have your own creativeness to the work. But I just feel like there's just so, like everything's been done in the fashion world essentially, but so that's where the confusion happens because how much more original designs are there? To be done I guess I don't know if you um if you're big on Instagram but have you heard of this profile called diet Prada all they do is call out <laughs> designers that copy other designers and it's you'll probably have a field day on that oh gosh no what is it called diet Prada I think it's diet underscore Prada oh my god oh gosh I'm gonna have to find this and look at it you definitely have to it's Literally, their whole thing is calling out designers, even big designers, too. Like, there's this whole thing on Dolce & Gabbana, calling them oh, out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it happens all the time. I see. Who who was it this week? Um, well, okay, this week I saw, not it wasn't a designer, but Michael's Arts & Crafts store, they ripped off a small designer. And, oh, no. Yeah, for home goods. It's like, what the heck? What? So, Big companies, big designers, they do it too. And I, I mean, I, I get it. They either they don't care or they just didn't do their due diligence, but I mean, they still got to pay up. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you come in. Yeah, exactly. Cause I don't, a lot of people come to me and they say, okay, so, you know, I want to send this person a cease and assist letter how you know should I also go after them for damages I'm like hell yeah you should <laughs> like if it's your if you own the design and they ripped you off then my season like for my letters that I send out I'm not happy with them with the other party just ceasing the sales like I still push for a settlement like I said I'm not a litigator so I don't sue people but if it's a bigger company or if it's somebody that we can get you know damages from then I do hand that off to a partner that I have who does handle the litigation for me um, because I mean I firmly am for my clients getting what they deserve which is damages when they've been ripped off so and I not that we go after like we don't sue everybody but <laughs> 
it's de- there's some logic to it, but we definitely push for what my client deserves. Rightfully so. So I'm sure you have very tight client agreements where you can't really speak on their cases, but can you give us an example of some of your personal success stories with helping a designer or maybe a fashion professional protect their intellectual property? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of my designers, we have we have them on a monitoring program and it's basically a monthly subscription model and we have a certain number of their designs that we're monitoring every month and depending on what what package they're on, they get a certain amount of letters sent to infringers every month, but all the content is removed from the online platforms through a DMCA notice. That's a Digital Millennium Copyright Act. That's their, That's the copyright law that's in place that allows the platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Amazon, eBay, Poshmark, you name it. They all, all those platforms have to abide by this law. So whenever I submit a DMCA notice on behalf of my client, that content is removed typically within 24 to 48 hours. So we go from there, we start having the content removed, and then we assess, okay, who do we want to send a letter to? Because if it's just this mom and pop shop, you know, somebody working off their kitchen table who opened yesterday, they, they probably didn't know the law. So we're more into educating instead of pushing for that person to give us a settlement because they, they probably just did not know the law but they need to be educated. So we still do our best in educating them. But we have a spreadsheet with all of the infringers and we go through and we'll see, okay, who is infringing, you know, who is a constant infringer, who is making money, who has been in this business for a while, like who knows that they're doing wrong. And then we go from there and send letters. But one client in particular, they... I guess we started working together last summer and within two months we had received over $5,000 in settlement payments. And I mean, this is, I mean, this is a small company that's just a husband and wife team. They work together day in and day out. The husband does the designing, the wife does the selling. And within two months we were able to get them $5,000 just in straight settlement payments. Now that, yeah, that doesn't even include the redirect that we have because once the other infringers stop selling, then their customers come to my, come to my client, the original designer. And then we also push for the infringers. We let them know, Hey, you can purchase wholesale from my client. So that doesn't include the wholesale purchases that that was just straight settlement payments that was received within two months of them working with me. You go. So (laughs) with all these wins, what would you say is the toughest part about being a fashion lawyer? I'm sure you've had some type of pushback or stressful situations that you've gone through. Yeah. So there's some times where it, it is questionable whether it is actual infringement or not, because you can definitely, I mean, you can definitely tell that they got the inspiration from my client, 
But then the question is, okay, but is this copyright infringement? So that's the toughest part about being a copyright lawyer, because sometimes, you know, they stole your work, you know, they stole it from you, but can you prove it? And that's just the hardest part. And, but I mean, we do what we can. And sometimes if we're not sure if it's, if it's just like, okay, this could go either way. This is something that we would have to sue for. Well, we'll send, you know, we'll start by sending a letter, seeing how it goes from there. And then as it gets, after we've had some settlement discussions, then we discuss, okay, do we actually want to go forward with this lawsuit? So that's the hardest part is just determining, okay, is this, do we, is this a, is this a slam dunk or not? Because obviously you love the slam dunks, but sometimes it's just not a slam dunk. So. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's actually refreshing to kind of hear you say um, in the case of the mom and pop stores that you'll actually try to educate them on something rather than just going for the lawsuit. Because I think a lot of us think lawyers are lawsuit happy and just want to sue for every little thing. Yeah, Yeah, I'm definitely not lawsuit happy. I hate litigation. I hate, (laughs) and this sounds weird coming from a lawyer, but I really am not a big fan of confrontation. Um, yeah, so I know, and that that's why I don't actually do any litigation. I pass that off, <laughs> but I mean, I do handle pre-litigation matters and try to do what I can for my clients with a settlement before suing. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I found that even with clients of mine that I have who have infringed on other people, I mean, a, a lot of people just don't know the law. And some of them, or a lot of them really, just don't know how to even go about educating themselves. So I would much rather let them know what the law is instead of, you know, suing them and getting us, you know, getting damages for something they can't even afford to pay to begin with. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's give and take. It It's really just a judgment call. Yeah, that's another thing I've always wondered with cases. Um we hear all the time in certain cases, the person owes a certain amount, but what if the person can't pay the amount? Like, how does that work? Do you just yeah. go the wages or? Um, so it honestly just depends. It will depend on what, you know, what businesses that client has, or it really just depends. But for me and my, cause we, I usually deal with just small businesses. I mean, we do have the you know, bigger companies that have infringed on my clients. And we typically don't have an issue getting a payment from them because they know they did wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it happens so much because they know they did wrong and they know they can pay. So they're just going to pay off these small companies. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's really just a judgment call. You have to know going into the situation. Okay. I have to do my research ahead of time because I don't want to spend this money suing someone when they don't have anything to pay to begin with definitely like i never understood places like forever 21 for example where it's obviously a straight up copy of someone else's design and especially now with social media it's so easy to call brands out oh yeah i just don't get why people don't just do the right thing (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like you're going to get caught. So why are you going to do it anyway? But companies like forever 21, they don't care. They They will just, 
like and they they may pay you off they may not they'll just do whatever they can to avoid the whole situation (laughs) so what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job it sounds to me like you really love just teaching people the right way of the law the copyright laws yes so yeah that honestly is probably my favorite part just because I know that it's it's a scary subject people think it's so intimidating and okay that was wrong it's not a scary subject people just think that it's so scary and it's so intimidating but I like being the person that can just really break it down for them and they're like oh this isn't so bad like this is totally doable like I totally understand this now. So that's really rewarding for me because I can take something that people are so afraid of and really break it down and make it to where they understand it and really can educate themselves to it. Yeah, we definitely need people like you and not just people who just want to take you to court. (laughs) Yeah. So for those of us in the creative side of the industry, laws and trademarks as we discussed are you know often the last thing on our minds i know as a creative i jump straight into it and then the law is you know an afterthought so what would you say is your number one tip to someone just starting out as a designer as far as protecting their work and intellectual property yeah so if you're a designer my number one tip is to be creative again, like there's a fine line between inspiration and infringement. And the courts have said, you know, creative works, they are meant to be inspired upon. So they are meant to be there for other people to gain inspiration from. However, you have to be very careful not to infringe on that work as well. So that's really where you have to be careful as a designer. And then as a business owner, my tip is you really have to protect your brand. When uh, the number one issue I see with all types of businesses is they get started, they get their business name, they get everything going, Mm -hmm. but they didn't do a real search. They didn't do a real trademark search. And for me, my trademark searches are only $350. So you can spend $350 and have peace of mind knowing that you're not infringing on someone else's trademark, or you can not spend the money, not do an official trademark search. And within a month of business, you have another company coming after you for trademark infringement. And it's not enough to do a Google search, or even if you search the USPTO, that's the United States Patent and Trademark Office, it's not enough to search their trademark database because a lot of people don't know that it doesn't matter if it's a different spelling, if it's a you know, if it's even a slightly different variation of the brand name, it can still be trademark infringement. I mean, I get people coming to me all the time, at least once a week I have a new client because they, you know, They're like, oh, you know, I checked Google. There was nobody with the same name. And I have to break it to them and say, well, it's not the same name, but maybe it's a different spelling. Maybe you added one word or took away one word, but it's still trademark infringement. So that's the the really big thing for all business owners is to make sure you run an official trademark search because... You don't want to be one month in business and maybe you've made sales, maybe you haven't made sales, 
but you're still spending the time and money branding yourself. Mm -hmm. And then after just a month or maybe even a year down the road, once you really have established yourself, somebody else finds out about you and they're like, Hey, you're, you've been infringing on my trademark. So then you have to spend more time, more money rebranding. And it's just, it gets to be a really big headache and something that business owners don't want to deal with. So it's always best to just spend the money up front, get it over with. Yeah, that sounds like an absolute nightmare being in business. And then all of a sudden you got to tell everyone, hey guys, so. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And and I really try to help clients all the time. I try to help them deal with their, you know, their customer base. And I tell them, you know, just use this as an opportunity, get them involved, get them excited, you know, don't let it be known that, oh, I have to change my name because of somebody, some other business. So you just want to really hype it up and just make it an exciting change. Yeah. You can say something like, oh, we're rebranding. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's always the best when you're like, oh, you know, I think this, you know, aligns with my brand better or something like that. So (laughs) (laughs) great. Great words of advice. Um, Well, I think we got a lot to think about and a lot to chew on. Great information. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all your amazing insight and knowledge with us today. Oh, no problem. It's been a blast. Absolutely. So please let our listeners know where we can find more information about what you do and the law and everything, all that good stuff. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. It's all Andrea Sager Law, one word. And then I have a great blog on my website, which is andreasager.com. And I do a lot of educate, just free blog posts, great educational resources there. Definitely suggest checking all of that out. And another thing that I am very proud of that I'm able to do for small businesses is provide payment plans for trademarks because I know it's an investment and I know that it's a necessary investment. So I do my best to provide payment plans. So that way it's affordable, even though it may be a bit of an an investment. Wow. Thank you so much. And I will definitely put your information also in the episode description. Um, Yeah. So signing out. Thank you again, Andrea. Thank you.